Hey there, everybody. So good to be with you for another online service. Hopefully you've got your AC cranked up and you are ready to get into God's word because that's what we're going to do here together today. Uh, but first, let's get into a time of worship. Worship band, take it away. You alone. 
last song has a great lyric. It says, no grave can hold what your grace has justified. Uh, and that is echoed in scripture. I'm in Hebrews chapter nine, middle of part of verse 26. It says this, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. I want you to focus this week for communion on one idea, that his sacrifice on the cross was completely sufficient. There's nothing else that's needed. It's echoed in scripture over and over. His blood is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Uh, sometimes we have our sin, we have our regrets, and we just carry it around as if the Lord hasn't been able to forgive that. And the reality is that's just our decision because scripture says that it was once and for all. That's it. It's sufficient for you. Reach out, prepare your heart uh, to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're going to sing one more song and then we'll do a little communion time.
This bread represents the body of Christ. It was broken, it was laid in the ground, and supernaturally it was knit back together and raised to life. And scripture says when he comes back in bodily form, he is no longer needed to deal with sin. He's just coming for those who are eagerly awaiting his return, according to the scripture. Let us eat and remember the broken and resurrected body of Jesus Christ. This represents the blood that was spilled, the blood that was spilled as an offering for many. And earlier in Hebrews, it says it's not like the priests who had to keep going back year after year to atone again and again. This was the sacrifice once and for all, for everybody, for you, me, people that have never, that haven't even been born yet. His blood is sufficient. It is all encompassing. It is the forgiveness of sins. Drink and remember the blood of Jesus. Thank you, worship team, for leading us, and thank you so much for joining us online. We hope and pray that our time together is just a blessing for you each week. Well, as always, we as a staff, we love praying for you. We actually find it a privilege to be able to pray for you throughout the week. Uh, And you could text your confidential prayer requests uh, to 97,000. You can text them now, tomorrow, throughout the week. Uh, We find it, again, uh, just an honor to be able to partner with you in prayer. So send those to 97,000. Well, we have a lot going on at Agora Bible Fellowship. And, and if you're interested at all in finding out more information about our weekly happenings or our various ministries, our website is a fantastic place to start. And you can visit us anytime at agorabible.org. And lastly, our ongoing uh, ministry is, uh, is possible through your generous financial support, and uh, we would be so grateful if you would consider uh, preferably uh, making a donation. And you can do that on our website under the Give tab. Well, before we dive into God's Word, let us pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you for our ministries, Lord, and we thank you that uh, you're a faithful God. 
And we just pray, Lord, that over the next few minutes, Lord, that uh, you just speak to us, that you uh, open our ears and our eyes in this passage, and that uh, you nudge us uh, to what you want us to get out of it, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are. And uh, it's your name we pray. Amen. Hello, everybody. So good to be with you. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and I am excited. We've got a good one planned for you today. Want to start off by saying happy July. I know most of you that are watching this video today, you're traveling, and that's the reason why you are watching this video. You are out traveling along with the rest of the church. Uh, I'm actually filming this from Hawaii right now. Uh, our green screen technology is really improved over the last little bit. So, man, let's just do it. Fourth of July weekend, here we go, right, everybody? All right, so uh, we are starting a new summer series called Supporting Cast. We are going to be focusing on kind of the lesser known people in Scripture and some supporting people, like secondary in nature, people that don't get a lot of airtime generally in church. Really, it's just an excuse for us to study whoever we want. And so uh, we're going to be getting into that here starting this week. Before we start, I did want to point out our artwork for this series done by our very own ABF's Frank Gentile. So check out the artwork for the series. So cool, excited to be using that. So the supporting cast person that I chose today was not originally on my radar for somebody that I would choose for this series. I am super familiar with this person, and so I just kind of assumed that everybody else was as well. And then when I started doing Google searches for obscure Bible characters, this guy popped up multiple times, and I was like, wait, maybe he's not that well-known? Um, there are only really two chapters about him. His story is told in both 2 Kings and the Chronicler does, uh, kind of wraps up and tells his story again in 2 Chronicles. Uh, so it's really just two chapters about him. And I was like, man, if people aren't familiar with this guy, they need to be because he is absolutely incredible. His story is so, so good, so encouraging. I love this guy so much that I actually got his name tattooed on to my arm. That is a true story, not even joking. That is real ink, my friends. That says Josiah, as in King Josiah. We're studying King Josiah today. Truth be told, I didn't get the tattoo on my arm because of King Josiah directly, but I named my son Josiah mostly due to the fact that King Josiah is such a baller. And so uh, yeah, it's my son's name on my arm, but still, there's not going to be another preacher during this entire series that has his supporting cast person named tattooed anywhere on their body. I guarantee you that. Dare you other preachers to prove me wrong. Double dog dare. How amazing would that be if people just showed up with tattoos of their people? That would be pretty amazing. Uh, Speaking of amazing preachers that are coming in to speak during this service, this series, we have the famous Pastor John Irwin coming back and speaking next week, so you don't want to miss that. We'd love to have you back uh, for the return of Pastor John. Pretty cool. So before we get in, at the outset of this series, I just wanted to say it is so important for us to remember that these Bible people, these Bible characters are not anything like extraordinarily special. They're still just human beings. Regardless of how great they are, they're just human beings. Josiah was an absolute stud. Like you're gonna see in his story today, he was an absolute stud, but he wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect guy. Um, while we can and should emulate him and some of these others in this series, uh, the big picture like the main character of the story is not any of these people. The main character of the big picture story is the Lord. It absolutely is. And ultimately through Josiah's life and through these other characters' lives, hopefully we are learning how to play out our part in his story. So I'm really excited to get into Josiah's story today. Let me pray for us and then we'll get after it. Dear Lord, um, God, just thank you for a chance to be together online. Um, Lord, thank you for the air conditioning in this room. 
Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunity for people to travel and go uh, see family and friends and uh, get time away and downtime and all of that. Lord, I ask that you just use our time together in a, an amazing way. Uh, I pray that you use the story of King Josiah in cool ways in our hearts. Uh, Lord, we come and just approach your word humbly and openly, asking you to move and stir in our hearts today. Uh, Lord, I ask for you to do that now as we record this. Uh, Lord, that you would just say what you want to say uh, and get me out of the way. Lord, we love you so much, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And while you are turning there, getting there on your phone, I would love to give you a little bit of background uh, because we need to get on the same page of where we are in this narrative of Scripture. So at this point, 2 Chronicles 34, the nation of Israel in the past has been in really good hands with King David years ago. King David wasn't perfect. But he loved the Lord, and the Lord blessed him and blessed the nation of Israel while he was in charge. The same could be said for King Solomon, David's son. King Solomon ruled the 40 years after King David, and King Solomon, uh, again, uh, you could say, man, things were good. The Lord blessed them during the time of King Solomon. But then, after Solomon, things took a turn. Solomon's son uh, Rehoboam kind of made a mess of things. And what happened was the nation of Israel ended up splitting in two into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. It was a pretty serious and dramatic split. And over the next 350 years, these two kingdoms stayed separated and they had separate kings that ruled over them as two completely separate nations. Okay, over the next 350 years. So over this time span, the northern kingdom of Israel had 20 different kings. They had 20 different kings, and every single one of them was bad. Every single one of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. During the same time span, 350 years, Judah, the southern kingdom, had 15 different kings. Half of them were good, half of them were bad. Half of them did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Half of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Most recently, just leading up to King Josiah, the last two kings, his predecessors, were both family members. It was his grandpa and then his dad. His grandpa's name was Manasseh, and he's the half. If you're wondering, Josh, how do you split 15 kings in half? Well, Manasseh's the half. So the beginning of Manasseh's reign, he ruled for 55 years in Judah. The beginning was really bad, like really, really bad. Could be considered one of the worst kings ever. Uh, absolutely horrible. And then the Lord kind of turned things around. The Lord orchestrated Manasseh's uh, capture and exile by the Assyrians. And he ended up humbling himself. He, himself. he humbled himself before the Lord, kind of turned a corner. And for the last part of his uh, reign as king, kind of turned things around and started following the Lord uh, at least a little bit. Uh, then after Manasseh's death, uh, Josiah's dad, Amon, uh, became king. Uh, and it's actually interesting to note that uh, Amon was the first Israelite king of Jamaican descent. True story. Amon was a young, I'm so sorry, that's so bad, but it's so good. Uh, at the same time, I apologize, and at the same time, say, you're welcome. I didn't used to say jokes like that before I was a dad, and now I'm a dad, and I just own it. Anyways, Amon was a young gun. He was uh, only 16 years old when he had King Josiah. And he was 22 years old when he became king. He only reigned for two years until he was assassinated by his own servants. So needless to say, he was not a great guy. He was a pretty horrible king, actually, and continued in the style of Manasseh, at least at the beginning of his reign. So that's a little update. That's kind of where we've come from. It's into this culture. It's into this family history that King Josiah is thrust into leadership. And as we start reading, we're going to see that against all odds, somehow Josiah displayed humble obedience to God's word. Second Chronicles 34, starting in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. 
And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherim, and the carved and metal images. And then the next four verses after that, if you're reading through, describe a little bit more detail of some of the changes that he made. Here, I think it's worth stopping and mentioning a couple of things, just very briefly uh, highlighting them. Uh, the first is this. Josiah became king when he was eight years old. Eight years old. Have you seen an eight-year-old? Chris uh, Kerner here at the church, I was talking with him. He had the opportunity Opportunity, yeah, that's the right word. He had the opportunity to share with the nine through 11-year-olds at Camp ABF just last week at our VBS camp. And to hear the stories of what was going on uh, with these kids while he was up speaking, the nose picking, the staring off as if into nowhere, uh, the monkeys with you know clanging cymbals going on in people's brains, uh, that's nine through 11-year-olds. We're talking an eight-year-old is the king, just a wild part of his story, uh, King Josiah taking over at eight. Then at age 16, he started seeking the Lord. And at age 20, he started making changes across the nation as the king. If you look there, verse eight, the story continues on. Feel free to follow along. I'm gonna just do a little bit of summarizing over this next part of the story. So now we're fast forwarding six years later. Josiah is now 26 years old and he turns attention to repairing the temple. If you think back to his last two predecessors, right, Manasseh and Amon, uh, not good guys, uh, what would have happened during their reign is that there would have been a serious neglect of the temple, and there would have actually been a hostility towards God's word. Chances are they tried to destroy every single copy of the law that they could over that 57-year span. And so Josiah started to work on rebuilding the temple and making the thing look good. During the process, the high priest Hilkiah, follow along, it's in there. Hilkiah found something in the temple. Apparently, not all the copies of the law had been destroyed. There was one outlier kind of sitting there buried away somewhere in the temple. So Hilkiah, the high priest, he passes the law along it makes its way to Josiah, and Josiah has it read. Uh, most likely, this would have been the entire Pentateuch, Genesis through De Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. You can imagine that was probably a pretty long session of reading through God's word, but man, clearly it had an impact on King Josiah because we see the king's response there in verse 19. Verse 19 says, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And if you're an immature man-child like I am, probably what you're doing is picturing King Josiah in a yellow tank top that says Hulkamania and red letters, just him just shredding that Hulkamania tank. But he wasn't doing it out of anger. He wasn't angry. He tore his clothes as an expression of grief. In reading the law, he realized a couple of things. The first thing he realized is he realized that his predecessors, the people before him, the kings, the nation before him, uh, man, they were so far off from following after the Lord. They were so far off. And he understood then that there were very real consequences associated with their actions. He also realized that even though he had been doing a much better job than his predecessors, even though he was working on following the Lord, he still wasn't doing it perfectly. He still didn't fully realize the extent to which God held his perfect, his standard and the expectations he had for his people and how seriously he took following him. More changes were absolutely needed. 
If you were to go over to the Second Kings passage, you don't have to right now, but if you go over to the Second Kings passage that talks about King Josiah, chapter 23 describes in detail for a very long section all of the changes that Josiah made after reading the law, the changes that needed to be made. Josiah's humble obedience to God's word communicates two things for us today, and they both require a whole lot of humility. The first one is that our conscience isn't the end-all be-all. Our conscience isn't the end-all be-all. I would say that our conscience uh, could be seen as a gift from God, and that most of the time we should follow after our conscience. However, the idea that your conscience is perfect 100% of the time and is just enough is a complete lie, complete and utter lie. Uh, Back in my early 20s, I developed a Josh's personal theology of drinking alcohol and drunkenness. And really, Josh's personal theology of drinking alcohol and drunkenness consisted of Um, well, really I had kind of come to a point of saying my own rules that were, I could get drunk. I could drink as much as I wanted, as long as I abided by my own rules that I didn't make any dumb decisions with girls. I didn't harm anybody else. Uh, as long as I didn't like do those, I, I was kind of free to drink as much as I wanted and felt like, yep, I was good with God. God's okay with it. I'm following after the Lord. Uh, But that was just kind of the decision that I had made. I had myself completely convinced. Uh, I had a close friend, my California dad, Mr. Scott Lubert, uh, kind of approached me and lovingly um, just kind of shared some truth uh, around God's word in that area. And truth be told, like I completely, in the moment, just completely blew him off just completely blew him off. Uh, But you know what eventually changed my heart on the topic? It was God's word. God's word uh, changed my heart. When I actually humbled myself and went to God's word and just said, Lord, what do you want for me in this area of my life? I'm submitting it to you. Uh, That's when the Holy Spirit used the word of God in my life to completely change my heart. And it's changed my heart on, on the topic ever since. Um, I think if you were to ask King Josiah a day before he was read the law for the first time, if you were to ask King Josiah, hey, are you following after God with all your heart and like the way that God wants you to follow after him? Are you doing everything uh, well? I think you'd say, yep, I'm absolutely following after God. But I bet if you were to ask Josiah that next day after he had had the law read to him, it would be a very different answer. Uh, I think he would say something along the lines of, well, uh, now that I've had my eyes open to God's word, now I know uh, that I'm currently in these new actions following after the Lord how he wants me to, even though I was not yesterday. Um, And the interesting thing is the only difference there is the presence of God's word. That is the only difference there. We regularly need God's word to inform our conscience. We regularly need God's word to inform our conscience. Our conscience, our feelings are not 100% reliable because they're easily swayed by our own selfish desires, just kind of what we want, and they're swayed by the world. There's no doubt about it. But scripture is unwavering. There's this amazing, mysterious thing about God's word. It is both unchanging And at the same time, it is alive and active and moving in our hearts and our lives at the exact same time. It's a beautiful, amazing mystery. So I beg you, I don't know where you're at when it comes to uh, submitting to the authority of God's word in your life, but I beg you, do not get sucked into the lie that uh, you're just not much of a reader or you're completely fine just listening to some worship music talking to a Christian friend, or being out in nature. Every single believer in Jesus needs regular time in God's word so that it can convict and change and mold our lives. We need God's word regularly. Our conscience is not the end-all be-all. And feeling conviction 
isn't the end goal. Feeling conviction isn't the end goal. Uh, I would contend that it was a good thing that Josiah ripped his clothes in grief, right? It was kind of this like public demonstration of his conviction. Y'all, I am convicted of what has happened. However, if that conviction did not lead to reform across the nation, what good would that conviction have been? I would argue it would have been good for absolutely nothing. I, uh, I personally would suggest something that I think might be interesting uh, to you, might not be. Uh, I would suggest that many Christians love the feeling of conviction, maybe even to the point where we're kind of like addicted to it and like craving that feeling of addiction. Think about it. What constitutes a good message or sermon or book or something in the Christian realm? What constitutes a good sermon is if it's convicting, right? Like if you walk away from a sermon saying, oh man, that was really convicting. You're like, oh, that was really good. We almost crave this conviction. Um, but the real question, the real question is how often then does that conviction lead to actual implementation and change in our lives? We can go searching for convicting message after convicting message after convicting message. I am guilty of this myself, searching to just be convicted anew. I just wanna be convicted anew, but that is not the end goal. The end goal is not being convicted. The end goal is does that conviction then produce change and fruit in your life? Might be worth a conversation with the big man. God, are there any areas that you are convicting me in, that you already have convicted me in, that I don't need any more conviction? I just need to change something in my life. Josiah displayed incredible humility and obedience in response to God's word. And skipping down to verse 29, we'll see that Josiah also displayed bold spiritual leadership of God's people. So we're still in chapter 34. We're skipping down to verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that he had found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days, they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. All right, I know that's a bigger section there, but we're just gonna continue on. So after Josiah read the law himself, after he read it and felt conviction personally, he gathers everybody up together. As many people from the nation that he can have come, he has come together. He reads God's word out loud to them. He personally commits in front of them that he is going to follow after God. And then he calls those that are underneath him to come along and follow after God as well. And I'm telling you what, something wild happened this day in Judah. Something crazy happened. It changed the course of the entire nation, shifted uh, hundreds of thousands of people going in a completely different direction. See, think about it. 10 years prior to that, Josiah had kind of started making some changes, started doing some things, started following after the Lord. But it wasn't until this day that the entire nation had revival. Verse 33, all of Josiah's days, they, the entire nation, did not turn away from following the Lord. And I would say it's pretty easy to argue, based on the history of our previous 350 years, 
that this revival was directly due to the bold spiritual leadership of this 26-year-old king. Spiritual leadership matters. It matters big time. Before you check out and say, okay, this section isn't really for me, uh, stick with me. Uh, let me just say that you don't have to be king or president or even a pastor um, for this to apply to you. We all have positions of influence. We all have places that we can and should exercise spiritual leadership. Everybody has a family. Everyone has friends. And let me tell you a secret. You don't even need to hold a place, a position of authority in order to lead spiritually. You don't. You don't need a position of authority in order to lead spiritually. My sister-in-law, Joey, uh, who's married to my brother-in-law, John, uh, told us a pretty funny story uh, that I think fits in really well with this uh, recently. So John and Joey, they've got three kids uh, ages seven and under. And Joey tells the story of her getting her three children ready to go out for the day. I don't know exactly where they're headed. I just know that they're trying to get into the car. So you families uh, will understand kind of the mayhem that can ensue. And it was just one of those days, one of those times where they're trying to get ready. Nothing's going right. Shoes are lost, nowhere to be found. People are upset, all of these things. It's just not going how it's supposed to go. And the frustration was just building for Joey and building for Joey. And she said that she just kind of was so frustrated. She got to a point, she's starting to take, uh, you know, like show her frustration with the kids. And her little seven-year-old son, the oldest, their oldest son, he comes over to his mom, pulls her aside, gives her a big hug and says, mommy, can you please be slow to anger? And Joey said that just in this moment with this little seven-year-old, just so innocent and sweet and genuine, the Lord just used it in this way as just this little reset of like, all right, Lord, I hear you. You're absolutely right. Even a seven-year-old with no authority whatsoever can provide, uh, can provide spiritual leadership in moments for sure. Now, that being said, uh, you don't need to have a position of authority in order to show and provide spiritual leadership. However, if you do have a position of authority, I think it's so worth mentioning just how impactful the use of that authority can be in providing uh, healthy, bold, spiritual leadership. So, such a gigantic impact that that can have. And I think as we're looking at our own lives and just evaluating ourselves, I think Josiah's story here serves as such a good model. Look at what happened with Josiah. Josiah, it all started with God's word. All of it, it started with God's word, like what we just talked about in the last section. After that, it was a personal thing. Josiah led the way. He had heart change and he was genuinely following after the Lord to the best of his ability. Then, and only then, he called those underneath his God-given authority to come up after him. He called them into following after the Lord with him as well. But it was following God's standard. He was not the authority. He was using God's word as the authority. That's what he was pointing them to. And practically, it was so, so simple, right? That's kind of more on the theoretical side of what it looked like, but practically, it was so simple. He only did two things. First of all, he just removed anything that would compete with God for worship. He removed anything that could, would, that could compete for the people's worship. Removed that. And the second thing is he just instituted a celebration of what God had already done. He instituted, how do we remember God's goodness? How can we as a people regularly come back and remember how good our God is? Let's take our attention away from these things that draw us away from God and let's regularly put our attention onto God himself. That's it. That's all that his practical leadership looked like. 
So simple, but so impactful. And I think for us, as we think through what does this look like for us, some questions that came up in my mind uh, are these. Man, where in my life do I have opportunity for spiritual leadership? And how are those opportunities going? Where in my life do I have opportunity for spiritual leadership? And how is it going? Is my spiritual leadership based out of what God is doing in my life? Is it an overflow of me getting in God's word and him then leading through what he's doing in my heart and my life? Is there anything that is competing for worship with God in my house, in my sphere of influence? Is there anything that just needs to be done away with because it is competing with God for the worship of me and the people that I have influence over? Do I need to institute more regular times of turning our attention, of turning my attention to Jesus instead of these things that are getting our worship? Such good questions as we think about what that looks like for us today. Um, Maybe like Josiah, in your situation, there are some big changes that need to be made immediately. And your spiritual leadership could make those changes immediately. And maybe you just need to be reminded that in your position of spiritual leadership, man, it is so impactful. Keep going. The impact that you're having is so, so important. So, Definitely some good things to learn from Josiah's life, but as I mentioned, the main character of the story is not Josiah, it's the Lord. And we're gonna learn uh, even from Josiah's death uh, some things about how we can relate to the Lord uh, and his story. So look over to chapter 35. Uh, We're gonna just flip the page uh, to chapter 35 and look down at verse 20. We're gonna talk about grateful acceptance of God's plan. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. But he sent envoys to to him saying, what have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I'm not coming against you this day, but against the house with which I am at war. And God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot, Josiah was kind of bougie, and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. All right, a little bit of a recap and some explanation of what's going on. I know there's a a little bit there. So this is now 13 years later. We have fast forwarded 13 years later. Josiah is now 39 years old. The temple looks spectacular, by the way. And at this point in time, the Assyrians, who are kind of like the old guard, they're the long-standing power. They've been like super powerful in the area for a long time, but they're weakening. They're weakening because the Babylonians are kind of the new up-and-coming power. They've been systematically going around and wiping out the Assyrians. And currently, at this time frame, they are on their way going to one of the last Assyrian strongholds to take them out. Egypt, they are more fearful of the Babylonians and rightfully so because they see them gaining power. And so they take the side of the Assyrians and they're going to go and intercept the Babylonian army at at Carchemish. Josiah, for whatever reason, decides to take the side of the Babylonians and in order to help them out, he goes and stops Egypt. Egypt so that Egypt can't fight the Babylonians and so that the Babylonians can go on and fight Assyria. I know there's a lot going on there. It's an interesting choice by Josiah for a couple of reasons, okay? Uh, First of all, the Babylonians are clearly gaining power in the area. Maybe he assumes he like sees the writing on the wall and just tries to get on their good side. I don't know, but that's what he decides to do is help them out. The other interesting part is that Necho, the king of Egypt, 
is like, hey man, the Lord told me to go quickly and to fight against the Babylonians. Like you'd be fighting against the Lord. Like the Lord has me doing this. This is of him, uh, which the author actually then confirms. Uh, so just kind of interesting. Uh, it's not mentioned here in scripture, uh, but Josiah and Judah were actually partially successful in this attempt. If you don't uh, know uh, kind of how the rest of the outside history goes here. Um, but they were partially successful. They did indeed keep Egypt from going and stopping the Babylonians. So the Babylonians just had smooth sailing, went and took out the Assyrians uh, right there. However, I say they were only partially successful because this battle came at a cost. Came at a cost, right? We read it. What's the cost? Josiah's death, right? King Josiah died. And that's only the beginning of the story because King Josiah's death sets off this chain of events. His death removed this hedge of protection over the nation of Judah. See, God had promised to protect Judah while King Josiah was alive because of his faithfulness. However, God also promised that as soon as Josiah wasn't around, discipline was coming for the people. So now with this hedge of protection gone, which uh, I don't really get the phrase hedge of protection if I'm being completely honest. Like, I don't know why that's a Christian thing. Like, if you can tell me, explain it to me where that came from, I'd love to know. It's like, these shrubberies will protect you. Uh, anyways, uh, with this hedge of protection gone, Egypt comes in and immediately uh, takes over and immediately occupies Judah. And then shortly thereafter, the Babylonians come in, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and take off all the people off into captivity and exile. And I'm sure you can see the irony of what has just happened because Josiah's intentions were to prolong, they were to maximize. How can we stretch out this time that God is protecting and with, withholding dis discipline from the people? How can I stretch out this time as long as possible? But yet with this decision, he accomplishes the exact opposite. He actually ushers in the era of God's discipline on the people. And the second thing is he dies in a battle where he was taking the side of the Babylonians the Babylonians are the exact group that just a few years later come in, take over, destroy his city, destroy the temple that he just rebuilt and take everybody off into captivity. It's just like this mind-blowingly crazy, like backwards and ironic thing. And so we sit here at the end of King Josiah's story and we say, man, what is the takeaway here? What do we even see and learn from this section, this decision that Josiah made and how everything played out? Uh, I wrestled with this because a lot of what I was reading, a lot of the commentaries and, and different things I was reading kind of talked about the fact how Josiah did not seek the Lord in this decision, how he was so focused on his plan and so focused on man's ability to act, uh, even politically and like, how do I move the pieces here, the human pieces that I see in order to affect the long-term uh, play of everything, uh, and really, he ended up working him, himself against the Lord. And while all that's true, he probably should have sought the Lord and got a lot of clarity there. Uh, I actually don't think that's the big takeaway. I don't think that's the big picture of what's going on here. I think the bigger takeaway of this section is this, is not even Josiah was bigger than God's plan. Not even Josiah was bigger than God's plan. So after Josiah had made this bonehead decision and died in, in battle. I don't think the Lord was up there saying, oh man, dang, I can't believe Josiah died. That's such a bummer. Like that just messes everything up. I wish that he would have like talked to me about it. If only there was a way that I could have saved him in that battle, right? Because uh, Because without a doubt, despite the fact that the Egyptian archers were incredibly menacing and good at what they did, the Lord easily could have saved Josiah from them without a doubt. 
I also don't think that Josiah is up there saying, oh man, God really let me down this time. I really wish that I would have had 20 more years back all the way back then on that broken planet with those crazy people. Like there's just absolutely no way. I think it's possible for us to read and think, man, it's so sad that Josiah's life was cut so short. But on the other hand, man, I think it's even easier to say that Josiah was right in the middle of God's plan in so many ways the entire time. And it was actually a part of God's big plan that the Lord still took him home at 39 years old. As I was thinking what that looks like for us, man, I think it's just obvious stuff. I think at some point the Lord's plan could absolutely include losing a family member or a close one uh, before it seems like it should have been their time. Uh, I think at some point the Lord's plan probably will include the fact that this country is just going to absolutely go down in the dumps. We talked about this before. I don't see America and the end time stuff. I don't see America in Revelation. Uh, I think that's very, very possible. The question is, what kind of perspective do we have on God's ultimate plan? Now, this is a little bit of speculation. Uh, I'm going to speculate about Josiah. It's not in the scripture, so I want to be completely upfront. But I think based on what we know of Josiah and the things that we hear about him, uh, I think it's pretty uh, safe to say that after all is said and done, uh, like I said, I don't think Josiah would be complaining about God's plan and how it all played out. I actually think he'd be incredibly grateful. I think he'd be incredibly grateful for the Lord's grace during his lifetime, regardless of how long it was. I think he'd be incredibly grateful for the fact that the, use, the Lord used him in such an amazingly powerful way. And I think he'd be so grateful to be a part of God's big plan, regardless of how long it was, regardless of how short it got cut. And I think it's very safe to say that that would be Josiah's heart towards the fact because we know that Josiah is known as one of, if not the greatest kings of all time. Over in 2 Kings 23 in that account, uh, verse 25 says this about Josiah. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to the, all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. There was no king like Josiah, either before or after him. And it wasn't because it was, he was perfect, absolutely not. It was 100% because of the condition of his heart, the soft heart he had towards the Lord. Uh, man, Josiah gives me hope and encouragement and inspiration in a couple of ways. He gives me hope because think about Josiah's past, where he came from, the 57 years of leadership in his home before that, and yet Josiah turned out the way that he did. That's absolutely incredible. And then, man, think about the life that he lived. I want that. I wanted that for our son. That's why we named our son that, the idea to be able to say these kind of things about our son someday unbelievable. I want that for us to be able to say that about ourselves as a church. Oh my goodness. How does it sound when it's all said and done to be able to uh, say that you are known as a person who turned to the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, who humbled yourself before God's word and made changes based on how he was speaking, who led boldly for those that would follow uh, saying, man, we are not going to worship the things of this world. We're going to keep our eyes focused and moving in the direction of the Lord, trusting that his plan is good because we know that it is. And man, we are just grateful to be a part of it, regardless of what that looks like. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Father, um, Lord, thank you for the story of King Josiah. Um, thank you for uh, just the example of a man with a heart like that, with a humble and soft heart willing to just say yes uh, to whatever your word says, to whatever you say, um, God, and then to not just stop there, but then uh, to rally, to inspire, to encourage, to bring others along as we follow after you with all of our hearts. 
um, God. I like to think of uh, King Josiah, regardless of how quote unquote short his life got cut. Um, man, how you used him in such a powerful and amazing way. And I think that's so encouraging for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes uh, to where we need to humble ourselves before your word and where we might be holding back and uh, our own selfishness or worldly things might be coming in and skewing things. Lord, I ask for just a humility before your word and before you. And Lord, I ask that you would use us in bold ways, that it would be uh, healthy leadership, um, not dictatorial, um, but Lord, that it would be leadership that's based on your word and just taking a stand of saying, God, uh, where you've given me a place of leadership, um, regardless of whether or not I have authority, um, Lord, wherever you've given me a place of leadership, Lord, would I just follow after you and uh, pull others uh, towards you as well. Um, Lord, we love you. We trust your big plan. We're thankful for your big plan, God. And uh, we just love you so much. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the
still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Well, once again, church, thank you so much for joining us this 4th of July weekend. Hopefully you have an amazing 4th celebrating the freedoms that we have in our country. Uh, but man, um, what a good time to get into God's word and sharpen each other. And uh, we'll just be praying for you this week. Let us know if there's any way that we can be praying specifically. Otherwise, we love you. Enjoy the rest of your trip. We'll see you soon.